Now recording. Now recording. Are we straight in? Yeah, why not? I guess we're straight in. Welcome to Phil and Dave's Excellent Adventure, where we talk rock and metal. I'm not Phil. That sounded really boring, didn't it? Welcome to Phil and Dave's Excellent Adventure, where, we talk, rock and <laughs> where we talk rock and metal. I'm not Phil. Ah, I'm similarly not Dave. S- similarly. Similarly. <laughs> um, and we're just a, a couple of dickheads that like rock and metal and we like to talk Huge about it. dickheads. You damn straight. So today we're going to be um, talking about two records like we did last week. That was quite f- good fun, wasn't it? Talking, but we did... Um, viscera versus heart of a coward yeah so what we're looking at this week is heaven shall burn yeah what was two records that you suggested from them before before we go on to that yeah okay um obviously there's the usual what have you been listening to stuff but i thought it would be quite poignant today for us to start with the news uh, okay I'm willing to bet that you are not actually aware of this news because I literally just thought, right, you know, I better have a quick look. And the top headline that popped up, I cannot fucking believe it. Uh, it. Uh, Little Richard just died today. I was a... just reading about Little Richard. Yeah, he just passed away. I, well, let me ch- let me check the story. I don't want to fuck the dates up. Six hours ago, rock legend Little Richard dead at 87. That is is pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, the news of the legend's passing was confirmed to Rolling Stone by Little Richard's son, Danny Pennyman. Though no cause of death was given, born on December 5th, 1932 in, I don't know how that's pronounced, Macon or Mason. I'm not sure, M-A-C-O-N, in Georgia, Richard Wayne Pennyman found massive success as a rock and roll singer in the 50s under the stage name Little Richard. His frantic raw vocal delivery helped lay the foundation for the next generation of rockers such as the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones. Lemmy was a fucking huge fan, you know. Yeah. yeah it makes sense. Beef. There's covers, isn't there, on albums and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's done a few little Richard tunes, but he was he was a big rock and roll fan, Lemmy, but massive little Richard fan. And I mean, don't get me wrong, the dude was eighty-seven years old. Not yeah, no, he's, he's not. It's not yeah, it's not like he was a kid, and he's but he's not like he's in the twenty-seven club. He's in the eighty-seven club. He's but he's that had a club? good run. But it's still very sad because the man was a genuine like bona fide fucking. Legend, yeah, him, he, I'll be honest. I think this news will come as a shock to a lot of people because they think they they. I think there's a lot of people who would think he was already dead. Yeah, well, I mean, when you said it, I was like, I was thinking, I wondered if he was dead. I hadn't heard anything. Um, when I first saw that headline, so I, I didn't scroll down to see the headline. I just saw a photo of him playing piano. And mm-hmm. this is on Loudwire, by the way, I got this from. Uh, although I'm sure, it, obviously, it's going to be everywhere. You'd but think so. um, this photo of him playing, before I saw the headline, my first thought was, why would Little Richard be in the news? 
and then it's obviously I see the headline is dead. And I was quite shocked myself, if I'm honest. I I had no idea he was still alive. But either way, it's very sad. And, um, you know, that's heaven sounding a little better, I suppose. Yeah, man. Pretty, pretty legendary dude in a lot of reasons for a lot of reasons though wasn't he like he oh, was yeah. it was black he was gay and he was from the south into, exactly from the south into rock and roll which was like <sighs> just a, a massive like that's your your trifecta of reason, girls mums yeah, not liking you exactly uh, and yet still massively popular how the fuck do you know i would i mean i'm really unprepared because i literally just thought i'm gonna have a quick look at the headlines so we've got something to open up on and that was the first one that came up so it's not like i've done any research um i don't even know the date today i think it's the is it the 10th 11th 10th i think today uh um, it was friday the 8th so oh so it's the 9th today so um yeah it's saturday the 9th of may it's like late on so we're recording at night and I just thought I'd better have something to open up with a bit of the news. We don't like to spend too much time concentrating on on the news and being distracted by every story because most of them are bullshit, to be honest. But either bullshit like or miserable. I hate the news because it's always fucking miserable. Shit. Well, I have, just... I have avoided the news. That's why I have to look it up right before we record because I don't fucking pay any attention to it at all. In yeah. any of its contexts, like not like in in music or maybe film news is about the only news I keep up on because it's never bad news. It's just telling me what films are in production at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, there you go. So, uh, you know, thoughts with his family, I suppose. And it's, it's to say I thought I hadn't realized he was still alive. Um, it's that's actually quite saddening. He yeah. was a genuine. There aren't many real legends left, you know. No, this is true. Uh, I remember I got um a wrestling video years ago, and um he was doing um America the Beautiful at the start of this wrestling video. Oh Just yeah, like in the middle of the in the middle of the ring, they put a piano in there. He's like. Oh no, didn't he? He didn't even have a piano. That's bullshit. It was just singing a cappella. Uh, but uh, no, there was music over the top. But it was, I think, it's a long oh, time ago. It was like track. either late eighties, early nineties. But it was um, fucking awesome. He was an awesome dude. That's just cool. like flamboyant as fuck. What a dude. He's a genuine legend, man. Genuine legend. Uh, what else have we got in the news? I'm literally just flicking through this now. There's a lot of uh, uh, this band as live streamed uh, performance. This band, this artist as live streamed performance. All this, every, everybody yeah. seems to be COVID partying. I, I don't see much of that, but on a similar vein, we talked a lot last week about Post Malone doing that Nirvana thing. Uh huh. And I, it's not in response to that because it's for his new record. But you know, Dave Ellison. Uh, ex of Megadeth, right? He was—he's the long-standing bassist with Megadeth, and he was recently—I mean, he—he did leave at one point. And he came back, and or he was fired, or then he came back. Who knows? I don't remember. But he is covering a Post Malone tune on his next record, a tune called "Over Now." Are you familiar with that? Do you know? It? Not off the top of my head, but I mean, I'm half asleep, so <laughs> I don't fucking—I know nothing about Post Malone. Um, 
What else is happening? I mean, looking at this, oh, there's been Pantera released a social distancing t shirt. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, raised 100 grand. Power. Yeah, it yeah. Was, uh, be yourself, by yourself, stay away from me. Uh, with a picture of a stay the fuck away from me, stay with a, a, a glove on, on, mm. uh, and like a fist punch in the face. It looks pretty cool. It was good, man. Um, there is one piece of news that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, Arkansas are going to be hosting the first socially distanced concert, like live show, mm. next week. Um, Do people have to stand in their own designated boxes? I'm not entirely is sure. Is it an entirely works. seat? Maybe it's a seated venue. Yeah, well, I'm just looking at seating plan now. Let me have a quick... So, that according to the picture, uh-huh. they're in groups of five. Right. Uh, and no one is... So, each group of five has a... Or six or whatever, has a row to themselves. And the row in front and behind will be empty. Right. You know what I mean? So, it. the first four rows are all empty. I mean, I don't understand how this will... I'm going to have a... I'll read it out because I don't understand how this is um, a viable option. Did you hear that? Yeah. Were you reading something out? What are you reading out? Why have we stopped recording? No, we haven't stopped recording. I just heard the noise that says we either are or are not recording. Well, it's still recording, so why are you doing shit? It still Shut says up. in the top right-hand corner, recording, recording. Shut up. There's nothing that says it's not recording. Back to business then. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how is this going to be financially viable? Let's have a look. One of the first socially distanced concerts of the coronavirus pandemic will take place in Arkansas next week, and the show seating arrangements give fans a look at how live music might work in a post-COVID-19 world. Travis McCready, frontman of the country rock outfit Bishop Gun, will perform a solo acoustic show at the concert next Friday, on uh, May 15th, at Fort Smith's Temple Live venue. However, as Billboard has reported, the concert audiences will be sectioned off into groupings of what Ticketmaster is calling fan pods. These fan pods are set uh, sets of 2 to 12 seats placed together, at least 6 feet apart from others, and they must be purchased in tandem. Accordingly, Temple Live's usual 1,100 capacity will be reduced by 80% to just 229 available seats. All attendees are required to wear face masks, which will be available for purchase, and fans will have their temperature taken when they arrive at the venue. Anally. That, hopefully. Uh, bathrooms at the concert will have a 10-person limit. No touch soap and paper towel dispensers. I mean, I like the idea that they, you know, that people are still putting gigs on, but what do you think about that? Like, Because a band makes money by playing live. Yeah. How much fucking money can they make? I mean, this is a small venue. This is 1,100 people capacity. But, uh, I mean, that's that's small. 1,100. We've played to bigger crowds than that. They've got a be you know they still gotta make some money from it right i mean they i guess they just gotta spend less on the actual show itself you'd think so i mean i wouldn't i would imagine that this has been organized this can't have been a gig that was already sold out 
and now they've decided, well, 80% of people can't come because the, the tickets so. are bought in tandem, as it said, and things like that. So I'd assume this is being organised. doesn't mention it in here, but I would imagine it's some kind of charity show or something. So, they, you know, they're doing it to promote that idea. But I just don't see how anyone's going to make any money out of that. And no, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I say, I, I like the idea, but it's a business. What band is going to make money out of playing to a 20% audience of the, you know, like if, like I say, small arena, but it says here that they're saying this is a look at how live music could work in future. Well, that's just not viable. Bands just won't go on tour, surely. I guess it depends on how much they're spending on tickets. Do you think that'll be the case? Like, uh, I mean, it's it's an option, isn't it? You know, I, I don't imagine they'll charge, uh, however much percent extra per ticket, but because that would really restrict who can see a band. Yeah, for sure. But I, I don't know. I don't know. That's fucking it's crazy. The option, if the option is not having any gigs and not making any money, you know, bands don't make money from recording anymore. Really. They've got to make money from merch and ticket sales. So how are you going to make money from merch and ticket sales if you can't gig? Yeah, true. Hey, what I mean, about be... this? What about what? Uh, Marty Friedman says his long-awaited documentary will hopefully come out next year. Do you think it'll be anything like um, Corey Feldman's uh, upcoming documentary? <laughs> I hope so. I'd love to see Marty Friedman dressed as Jacko. Yeah, saying he's possibly, you know, been molested. Yeah, man. Didn't Corey Feldman, like, because he's, he has a reputation for being a touch on the fucking batshit crazy side, doesn't he? He's walking but, the line, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, there's uh, there's something going on there. But didn't he claim to be, it was something ridiculous, like he was, um, he wasn't the Corey Feldman who people knew as a child, like he's someone else in that body, or he's from space. Oh, I thought you. I thought you were going to say it's ridiculous. like Paul McCartney got killed in the sixties, and they replaced. No, no, this him is something I. <laughs> yeah, because because that would have been worthwhile. <laughs> what I mean, uh, conspiracy uh, theories are just for fucking idiots. But look, his <laughs> his his nose bends a slightly different way. It's not the same guy. Oh fuck me! <laughs> fuck uh, me! Yeah. <laughs> hey, did no, you I... see? Did you see that Goonies thing? No, man. What's that? So, like the um, uh, the guy who does um, Olaf's, you know, Frozen. The, the Josh Gad, wasn't it? Josh Gad, yeah. So he put all of the um, the Goonies, the cast that are still alive, back together. No way. Um, and did it's it's on YouTube at the moment, and they just oh, had I'm like a, like an interviewy type thing, and then did some lines out of it and stuff. It was man nostalgia central. But I was just you know obviously sloth wasn't there, Mama Fratelli wasn't there, but everybody else, I'm pretty sure everyone else was there. Who yeah, who's who would be dead? Mama Fratelli's got to be dead. She was like a hundred when that film came out. I think that's it, man. I think that's the only only two that aren't. Who who did you say, Mama Fratelli and? Um, Sloth, he died. He was like a drug addict or something. Really? Because Corey yeah. Haim's dead as well, isn't he? Yeah, but Corey Haim's not in the Goonies. 
Isn't he? No. I He's in Lost Boys. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, he was like a, an American football player, the guy that played uh, Sloth, I think. Um, and I think he had, like, drug problems, and that's why he wasn't in the NFL anymore. Right. Um, and then I think it carried on. He had problems, and eventually... like I'm not sure if it was, like, drug-related from having been on a lot of drugs at one point and he just like ravaged him or whether he overdosed or something like that. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm sure it was drug related. Right. Somehow. Um, but that was like ages ago that that happened. I'm not sure about when Mama Fratelli died, but that was probably a while ago too. I'd imagine so. That bitch was old yeah. back then. She looks like one of them people that was born fucking old. Yeah, she looked like she'd had a, a hard life. Yeah, man. She... She was an acquired, uh, not an acquired taste. She, she was an actress who would only fit very specific. Yeah, roles. she was. She was a type cast type, definitely. But you know, more power to her. She made some fucking coin out of it. And yeah, man. The goon, the Goonies alone cemented her in fucking pop culture history, didn't it? You know. Yeah. So yeah, fucking more power so, to her. I'm totally gonna look that up though. Yeah, man. But sorry, but my my brain's all over the place. That's why I keep jumping from like subject to subject. But if I don't say it, like when I'm saying it, it's gone forever. <laughs> no, that, that's cool, man. Because I am planning on necking a load of this IPA. The, the first one's done. Cool. It's really good. Phil brought Dead me, soldiers. Um, excuse me. It's what you call um, empty beer, isn't it? Dead soldiers. I've never heard that, but I'm going to refer to it now. Yeah. All the time. So we have one man down straight away. Yeah. Um, Phil brought me, uh, I fixed up a couple of his guitars, so, um, he came to pick a couple up today and we, we stayed at a socially acceptable distance. Uh, but he brought me some, uh, Hebden Bridge Brewery, uh, Life and Death IPA. Vocation, I think the brewery's called, is it? Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's brand. That's I what know. I can't work out. It says Hebden Brewery on it, or Hebden Bridge. It's got a logo for Hebden Bridge. Yeah. But then it's called Vocation Life and Death, so I can't really work it. Maybe, out. maybe like it's like so Hebden Bridge Brewery. Maybe um, Vocation is like the the brand of beer and the the I don't know, like. Um, the particular brew is 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 oh, life and definer, but it's good. Yeah. It's good. Pop a clack. There we go, my man. There we go. So, um, I think that's the news handled. What have you been uh, listening to, man? What have you been up to? What have you been doing? What's been um, the crack? I have been listening to, well, obviously some heaven shall burn. Yeah, man. Um, uh, I have been listening to some. Do you know what? I was listening to Cher. Okay. And I was listening to Michael Bolton. Right. I was listening to the specifically the album um, Heart of Stone, which has, um, uh, I think it has Jesse James on it. It has, if I could turn back time, it has. It's like the big classic oh, okay. 80s we're, one. We're talking. Um... Like 86, 87? Yeah, possibly 85, possibly. But anyway, uh, you know, mid-80s, it was 89. like... 89. 
Really, that late? Yeah, just looked it up. Heart of Stone shirt, eighty nine. But it's like the 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 big eighties one. You know, she came after after she'd had like the whole big in the seventies. Oh yeah, man. Thing. Yeah, like Kiss to Kiss and All Because of You's on this. I know those two tracks. The big jams, and then yeah. Um, after that, I put on. Uh, well, I was listening to quite a lot of Michael Bolton. Not gonna lie, massive Michael Bolton fan. Um, but so I put on. Um, uh, uh, which was the first album I, I put on? Um, uh, shit, I'm gonna have to Google the albums. I'm sorry, my brain's just asleep. Bolton. Hello. Oh, hello. What's up with you? Fuck. Where Where have you gone? Hello. Hello. What's Fuck going on? Speak. I can hear you, Dave. Oh, there we go. You're back. Where did I go? I don't know. You you had that. You just had a strange ring on your voice, and I was hearing like every other word, and then it got less and less, and you were gone completely. Okay. Well, I'm here now. I'm back. Sweet. So yeah, um, I'm assuming everything you just said about that share record was recorded, but I just didn't hear it. I don't know. Let's let's say it again anyway. Right. Cool. So I was uh, listening to. Uh, the album Heartstone by Cher, which has all like the big 80s tunes on it. Um, yeah. And then I followed that up with Time, Love and Tenderness by Michael Bolton. But then... I like me some Michael Bolton. What, which too. record is that? Tell me uh, I'm going to that up. Time, Love and Tenderness. It's got uh, Love is a Wonderful Thing on it. It's got Time, Love and Tenderness, obviously. When a Man Loves a Woman's on it. Oh, um, when a Man Loves a Woman is a fucking yeah. And bomb. Steel Bars. Steel Bars is a fucking great tune. Um but yeah, uh, and then I went on to the album Soul Provider, right? So Soul Provider is the one that has um, how can we be lovers and stuff like that, and how yeah. how am I supposed to live without you, right? Oh, what a tune! Uh, oh, have you ever heard the song When I'm Back on My Feet Again? I'm going to put it on right now. I'm not sure if it's a cover because it sounds like it would be a cover. This um, is Michael Bolton record Soul Lovers, yeah? Yeah. Uh, no, so, Soul Provider. Sorry. Soul Soul Provider. Yeah. Michael Bolton. Bolton! Um, there we go, 99. But, but also 1999. Yeah, well, this brings me on to the weird point. Okay, so on that album, there is a, a song called... Where are we? Which one is it? You Wouldn't Know one? Love. When I'm you back Wouldn't Know Love. Again. It's you on the one, no way. Love. I randomly yeah. picked that out. So, the song You Wouldn't Know Love. Now, check out the album... Heart of Stone by Cher. Heart of Stone by Cher. Hold on a minute. So, do I need to listen to this track first and no, then go can, back and listen to can, the heart? You, if you just open up and look at the track listing. Yeah. So, I'm looking at that now on the Soul Provider record. Yep. And then you on the Heart of Yep. On the Heart of Stone album. Heart of Stone. Let me go back to my recent searches because that Cher record. Will be the last one. Time, love, and tenderness. Yeah. No, fuck. That was another bot. Michael uh, Heartstone. Sorry. Yep. You wouldn't know love. Yeah. Three. Is is it the same track? It's the exact same track. From what I remember, in fact, it is literally like a karaoke. So uh, it, as if somebody's got the track, sent it to both of them, said, "Hey, do a version of this," and then they've gone, "Okay," and then they've both released it. Does but it sound like the same backing then? I think Do so, we, from what try. I remember. Because I remember I'm have to listen, man. I remember is the it... Michael Bolton tune coming on and me thinking, 
Shit, I know this song. I must Gone not have liked Cher, it. Accidentally. No, I thought I must not have liked it very much because I didn't remember Michael Bolton doing it. And then the chorus kicked in. And I was like, what the? F-? Yeah. <laughs> will we will be covered by fair usage if I play it in the background for like less than eight seconds or something? We'll be all right? Yeah, go for it. Right, fuck it. I'm going to hold it up to the mic then. So I'm just rolling a cig. Right, I'm on it. I'm on it. Here we go. Okay. So which, which one's this first? Uh, this... Well, I won't say, actually. You tell me. So let's see if they say... Is there a vocal in it straight away, or is there, like, an intro? I, I, I can't remember, because it was, like, three or four days ago, uh, right, and it was just, like, one blast through, so... Let's try it out, man. I'll make sure the volume's up. Right. That's 80s That sounds. Fuck. It sounds like Cher to me. I'm, I'm saying nothing. Okay, now try the other one. Yeah, now I'm going to go back to the old search bullshit. What record was it on? Well, it depends which person oh, you're talking about. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, of course. Well, I've just kind of given it away, haven't I? Uh... Yeah, that's not the same backing. It's pretty fucking similar, though, isn't it? Like, Very exactly. Similar. It's the same song. It's, it's the she's, same song. She's exactly. more, you were right. The first one was Cher. This one's Michael Bolton. Um, but, but this is this has got guitars in it. The last one just sounded like synth. You hear that? I think maybe they both have guitars. Maybe the mix is different. Yeah, I think the mix is... T- I mean, Michael Bolton... <laughs> God, I've never thought I'd say this. Michael Bolton... Has got like a heavier he rocks edge. Hard. <laughs> yeah, he's got a heavier edge than Cher, you know. Why well, are we was... talking about Michael Bolton and Cher? It was a weird a thing. Because it was a weird thing, man. It was just it's, like a weird thing. It is like weird it, when that happens. It was weird that it happened that like I was listening to one album and then the next album, pretty much that I listened to was that and that happened and i wasn't it wasn't like none of the track listings or anything nothing led me to listening to michael bolton other than i was like i fancy listening to michael bolton right yeah, now. just random what's yeah. even stranger is that both those records came out in the same year yeah well i mean i suppose it makes it less weird in a way because i like i say i don't think oh maybe one of them wrote the album wrote the song um, and sold it to gonna, the other I'm, one. I'm going to look up the song. I'm going to see what the connection is there. You wouldn't know love. You wouldn't. You wouldn't know love if it walked to your door. Oh, you did know it, then you wouldn't know it before. Have you ever noticed Wikipedia changes its fucking rules on you over and over again? Like How do you in terms. So I just thought, right, I'm just going to go on Wikipedia and type, you wouldn't know love, because oh. it'll, it'll find, hopefully it'll find something. Well, I didn't put the apostrophe in wouldn't, because I oh, assumed yeah. autocorrect to do it. And it's just said that I so, found it. So it wouldn't find the song. But in the past, I've completely misspelt titles of films, and it's known exactly what I'm looking for. Hmm. But uh, the lack of an apostrophe. Uh, here we go. Oh, written by Michael Bolton and Diane Yeah, Warren. man. Right, yeah. okay. There we go. You Wouldn't Know Love is a song written by Michael Bolton and Diane Warren appearing contemporaneously? Sure. Is that a word? I'm dyslexic. I don't know if I said that right. Uh, Yeah, it sounds Did I say it right? Yeah. Yeah. In 1989, on Bolton's Soul Provider and Cher's Heart of Stone album. 
So it's planned. It was obvious. It seems it was planned. He wrote it, and then she released they... it. She released it as a single in 1990 in Europe and Australasia. But um, yeah, it the was song just was a only weird released thing. as a single in Europe and Australia by Cher. But yeah, I, f- I don't know whether it was like me being uh, subconsciously sexist, but I had a feeling if one of them had written it, it would be Michael Bolton. But I don't think it was a sexist thing. I just I'm. I'm more aware of Cher doing a lot more kind of, well, not a lot more cover work. More of her stuff is not written by her. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, Michael Bolton produced it for Cher as well, to be mm. fair. I mean, he he was obviously he produced his own. Steve Lucas played the solo. Look at that. Yeah, man. That's pretty fucking cool. It's not even that great a solo from what I remember. I remember if thinking Steve it's. Steve played it, it's, it is. No, I remember listening to it and thinking, "There's a solo in there," but not thinking it's it's not jump or anything. It's not like our um, beat. It. It's not like a standout like like solo that makes me think, "Holy shit, that's the '80s right there." That solo, oh my god, that solo. You know, like like uh, Eddie Van Halen. Anytime he subbed in, do you know the weird connection between Eddie Van Halen and Steve Lukather is beat it. Yeah, because uh, Michael Jackson's beat it. The solo is Eddie Van Halen, but and in the, the riff vid- is in, not. Well, in the video, I I might be wrong, but I think Eddie Van Halen's in the video, and he fucking riffs this so this solo. <laughs> and it's the thing is when you listen to it as well, like it's totally Eddie Van Halen. No, you, you know yeah. it's him, and it's an awesome solo, and it's totally his style. But because of that, people always assume that all the guitar part and you could you could ask a million people, and I'll bet only a small percentage of of them would would not tell you. Like if you just asked who played the guitar line in Beat It, anyone who thinks they know, nine out of ten of them, they'll be telling you it's Eddie Van Halen. Apart but, from if you ask Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson would have said that it was him. Did you ever see him talking about like how he? he um, no. He, what? Like, he, he used to <laughs> like. Even had a guitar on stage. Yeah. Pre- <laughs> I can't remember what song it was he was talking about. He was um, saying like he wrote bass lines like for um, for Billy Jean and stuff like that. Um, he was saying like he, he wrote the bass line. the bass line for Billy Jean, one of the most yeah. iconic bass lines in history. Yeah, he was like, yeah. I, 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 there was a, a documentary I was watching. He's, it wasn't a Louis Theroux, was it? Maybe, but it was just no, like no, he never. Uh, maybe Martin Bashir. He did a Michael. Oh, Jackson, that's the one. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was that in, didn't end well. No, and he was in this studio, and he was just like. Oh yeah, we were just in the studio, and then I came up with this ding, 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 ding. I was like, "Did you? Did you really? Did you?" You know what? I wouldn't was be that surprised. You, was <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he said to someone, "I've got this tune in my head," and it goes ding, 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 ding. But it would have been different. And then someone who knew music picked up a bass guitar and was like, something like this, ding, ding, ding. and he'll have had it in a different meter, and he'll have had it in a different groove, and. No, even musically, it will have been slightly, it will have been different. And a real bass player would, or a real musician, or Quincy Jones, let's be honest, Quincy Jones yeah. said, <laughs> fucking, right, well, I don't like what you just did, but it's given me an idea. That's as yeah. far as it went. Because Quincy I mean, Jones wrote, like, all his big Yeah, hits. pretty much. And, and I mean, I guess that's kind of the thing that's always annoyed me when people go, oh, yeah, I think 
um, I mean, the, the the term better is very subjective anyway, but people who tell me that um, Michael Jackson's better than Prince, and I'm like, well, eh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to disagree completely in every in every sense. It's, it's weird, is that? Because I know you saw it, actually. I saw you commented on it. I had a very brief argument with a dude yeah, my- on Facebook earlier. <laughs> So, so I'm part of this. I'm not much of a drummer, but I play drums. And one of the admins on this uh, Facebook drummers community, I think the group's called, well, I went to school with him. Um, so he invited me to join the group. And I told him, like, I haven't played drums in years. You know what I mean? I, I won't know what half of these people are talking about. I, know, I have no knowledge of technique. Um, I'm a guitarist that can hold a beat. That's as far as my drumming goes. Um but I, I joined a group, and I very, very rarely chime in at all on that group. But someone today asked the question, who do you think are the most overrated drummers? And I said, as I might add, a total Zeppelin fanboy. I was brought up on Zeppelin. My fucking dog's called Zeppelin. I'm a massive Zeppelin fan. I said, I think John Bonham is overrated. And I, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I am not nearly as big a Zeppelin fan as you. I It's kind of similar to how I am with Deep Purple and Black Sabbath in that I appreciate their contribution and I like a few of their songs. Um, yeah, so basically all I them. did was say, I think John Bonham's overrated, but I did it in a very polite way in which I said, I'm a huge Zeppelin fan and I think John Bonham was awesome for that band and he made zeppelin sound him and well every member of that band it's one of those bands where uh no member could have been replaced and they would have sound the same well i think that's because there's so few of them in the band isn't it like you know it's not like a band with two guitarists where you could trade them out because you yeah but i mean jimmy jimmy page is one of those guitarists where when you hear him play you know it's jimmy page and robert plant had that voice that is I'm not saying it again, he's not the best in the world, but he is um Robert Plant is a singer who you you can't mistake him for anyone else. You know what I mean? No, but I, John Paul Jones, I, what, I his mean, addition that's to that, he I'm wasn't saying. just a bass player. It's kind of what I'm saying though. He like, played all think the about... mandolins, he played the bazooki, he they all had a hand in writing the songs, and Bonham was the same, like that driving force behind it and that fucking unbelievable groove it was almost inhuman the amount of groove that man had yeah that's what i'm saying though like so you've got all of that there's only four of them it's like you pick any band that's got like either only four members or they've got um you know each member plays an individual instrument so they can concentrate on that thing and more often than not that's when you get your individual sounds because if somebody's playing guitar and singing at the same time like yeah it's difficult to kind of make one or the other stand out particularly apart from you know Hetfield's rhythm playing um it's yeah i mean there are one or two others like Matt Bellamy from Muse you know what i mean he's yeah. you look at what he's doing and it, the band would be different if they had a guitarist and him just singing or whatever yeah but but i i see what you mean the the less people there are in a band the harder it is to replicate what they've like encapsulated as a band yeah but my only point about Bonham it was simply 
that Bonham had this inhuman groove and he was a powerhouse. Like he, he was a hard hitter and he perfectly complemented what Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones were doing musically. I love the man and I love the band. But when people say like he was the best drummer in the world, I have to question it because to to me at least, again, it's really subjective, but to me at least, the word best would say an plays the term. instrument better than anyone else. As in, uh, it, it mastered every technique, mastered yeah. every style. Well, you that's can say, Bonham. Yeah, you can say my favorite. My favorite is very different to the best. Exactly. So I, I wouldn't say I was playing devil's advocate, but I did kind of go against my own preference and say I think John Bonham is overrated when people call him the best because right hang on a minute that's not a term that i would personally say applies to what he did he was the best at what he i did. think hey do you want to do you want to talk about these um albums that i've forced myself to listen to for some stupid reason this week yeah man let's we i think we probably should because uh, <laughs> i right i don't know i don't know um what I've been oh, listening to oh, this sorry, week anyway. sorry, I've been listening to this. Really no, it's all right. I was just trying to write a message to Wayne at this or make a note of what I need to send to Wayne for editing notes and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, what have I been listening to uh, this week? I listened to the new Trivium Records. Really cool. Is it is it very like Trivium it or is it kind of different? I personally think... In terms of style, I think it is. Yeah, I think it's very trivial. I think would be. Yeah, I, if I had to put it like because I dug terms. it in like the ascendancy kind of era, but shortly after that, I you went know, well, very I think, I think very it's quickly. the best record. I think it's yeah. So if you look at their records, I won't lie. I I am not really au fait on like the last seven or eight years of their work, but In Waves wasn't a bad record. Uh, well, in fact, it was pretty fucking good. Um, after Ascendancy, they did uh, Shogun and the Crusade. I can't remember which order they came in. I wasn't a big fan of either. So I kind of switched off after Ascendancy. I think like a lot of people yeah. did. But Ascendancy is a fucking out-and-out start-to-finish killer. Like there is not a moment on that record that isn't excellently written. And this to, this new record is called "What the Dead Men Say," and I, I think it's, it's. I listened to it twice through this week, and cause I don't know what you're like, but I if you, if I only listen to a record once, I feel like I haven't grasped it. You know what I mean? There's going to be shit I've missed. Yeah, I mean, I, I usually if I'm listening to something when it's during the week, it will just be something I've listened to before. So for me to listen to something new yeah. is rare, but when I do, I tend to listen to it a couple of times in a row, like you say. Because, I mean, back in the day when we used to consume things very differently, I used to listen yeah. to a CD on repeat on because I'd have, you know, maybe one new CD a month or something like that. So I'd listen to that like 10 or 15 times and then maybe go back to my old CDs or whatever. And then yeah, and I, th I think it's circumstances as well. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. Like it's um, you're exposed in different ways, and then once you, once you've been exposed, you consume it in a in a way that's it was more novel back in the day. Like it, it was a new thing was newer for longer. 
Yeah, it was because you didn't you didn't have the access that you have now. Whereas now it's exactly. kind of throwaway almost. But I don't like treating stuff that I don't know like that. So I, like if I have something and I find something, I will listen to it a few times because, like you say, it's partly because I don't think I'll I've I've picked everything up out from the album that you know you would on a, a second or a third listen. But also, yeah, exactly. Like you feel like hooks get stuck in your head not necessarily the first time you listen but after you've listened a few times once you've kind of started differentiating the tracks and stuff so once you can yeah. kind of differentiate the, tra- the tracks you pick them apart and you're like yeah i like that one that's my tune whereas like like especially with these um ones we we're listening to this week i've struggled man to find ones that stand out but anyway uh, you were saying about trivium yeah, well, you know, oddly enough, it, it, this leads us nicely onto because obviously, like in your job, you're, you're walking all the time. You got your it's a good excuse to listen to tunes. Yeah, uh, and I'm the same. I'm in the truck all the time, so I can listen to shit all day. If it's one of them days where I've only got one job, but I've got to do a 400 mile round trip, I spend most of my day listening to shit. And I listen to a lot of podcasts because I find there's only so much music I can listen to. But this week had been quite different. I've hardly touched a podcast apart from once. And it it was an odd, it's just a coincidence, but it was an odd like incestuous relationship between your music and the podcast. So as we're going to move on to shortly, we're looking at two Heaven Shall Wait, uh, uh, Heaven Shall Burn records yeah. uh, this week. Um, I I needed a break from that because as we'll as we'll move on to exactly as you just said, there's not much of a standout. It's almost like one long song when you put that record on. There, there's very little difference. Mm-mm. Um, I mean we'll move on to that, but I needed a break basically, so I put the new Trivium record on, which I'd listened to at the back end of last week. So this week was like my second listen, and then I listened to it twice through this week, and. I really enjoyed it, but because I'd been listening to that, um, I then found a Matt Heafy interview on the Metal Hammer podcast. All right. And he didn't actually talk too much about this new record. I had assumed, and if I'm honest, that's kind of why I went looking for it. I had assumed that it was going to be, he was being interviewed about the new record. Yeah. But the whole interview was about his um, influences when he was writing Ascendancy. Okay, and heaven sh- heaven shall burn was one of his biggest influences while he really? was right in ascendancy. So I was like, wow, that's that's weird how it's taken me full circle. It and is now weird. I, now I'm looking for different things. When I had a, another listen through to those two heaven shall burn yeah. records, it was like right now I'm hearing different things that he was talking about, uh, and it's it gave me a different. I wouldn't say a different appreciation. But it certainly gave me, it allowed me to look at those two records from a different perspective. Yeah. Which was very cool. I mean, it's, what would you describe Trivium as? Because I, Trivium, I just call um, them metal, but I guess they're metal core, I guess. Well, they sound, to me, they sound, especially on later albums, they sound like they were kind of uh, less inventive. Um, I don't know if that's the right word, but so there's something less that that, that doesn't appeal to me as much uh, as um, I agree. Kill switch engage. Yep. Um, yeah, do you know what the it, well a kill switch metalcore? Yeah, but they call themselves because there's pussy a metal. huge. There is a huge um, 
relationship what's the word there's a familiarity between kill switch and trivium yeah that's undeniable personally i'm not a big kill switch fan i love them but but i do like trivium yeah i'm, the, I'm I, kind of the opposite way but i mean i don't dislike trivium it's just I no don't i don't like i don't them. dislike kill switch it's just it's i think we're we're saying the same thing from the yeah you know from from the opposite side but what amazed me was because you know me, I'm not very good at these at this labeling thing. You know, putting a label on a specific like subgenre of metal. If I like it, I like it. It's that simple. That. But if you tell, if you say to me like, "Oh, um, what kind of band did you think that was?" I'd be like, "Well, it was a good one, a heavy yeah. one." You know what I mean? I, but some kind of metal. What I did find with Heaven Shall Burn is that almost straight away, even I identified. This I think this is metalcore. It's a bit harder than metalcore. Like it's a bit more extreme. But yeah, those the, are hardcore vocals was, in places. The, the newer album, and there's some really hardcore beats and and drum patterns and riffage in places. Yeah. But no, it was it was just weird how it brought me around that like full circle um, from Trivium, Heaven Shall Burn to Trivium to an interview where he talked about Heaven Shall Burn. Yeah, and that put me back onto listening to them, and it was. I guess we should, because that's basically all I've listened to. Heaven Shall Burn, Trivia. Oh, no, I tell like he um, he also talked about some of his other influences he mentioned, specifically around writing Ascendancy. Are you familiar with, you know, Death, obviously, Chuck yeah. Schuldiner. He talked about um, the Death record. Um, oh, fuck, what's it called? It's uh, Sounds of Perseverance. Mm-hmm. Why have you got Michael Bolton playing? I just hit the wrong button. I was just going to look up (laughs) Death on Spotify and find the name of that record, but I suddenly remembered it. (laughs) You you straight up hit up when I'm back on my feet again by Michael Bolton. As if you knew exactly what that was as well. I love that, man. (laughs) But the the iPads, the Dave pads at a distance from the mic, I could barely even hear it. I love that song, man. It's just powerful. Oh, man. I am going to put some Bolton on later. I love his voice. But, um, but yeah, so he mentioned Death, uh, sound, The Sound of Perseverance, that record, um, yeah. which was one of their last, I think, off the top of my head. Scream Bloody Gore was like 1989, something like that. Whoa, 1989 has come up a lot. Mm. Um, Good year. Especially... If you are Sounds of Perseverance was 1998. Well, it says that's a reissue. I can't tell what the fuck. Oh no, Scream Bloody Gore was 1987, which is a good record on its own. Um Sound of Perseverance, it was, it was 1998. Now I listened to that straight through start to finish, and it's a record that doesn't have track breaks in between right. so it's like you you don't know when one song's ended and another one started mm-hmm. but you never get confused when you're listening to it and it's it's a great record the other one he mentioned was um warp zone by marta who are a french canadian i guess you call them progressive metal it's basically it's jazz detuned with fuck loads of drive and screaming okay but it's mind-bending to listen to. Like, honestly, I would advise, I don't care if you're into metal or not, 
have a listen to the band Marta. Uh, it was a record from, I think, about 2000. It's called Warp Zone. And from start, like literally from the first note you hear, your, your brain just starts turning to shit. It's fucking incredible, but it's hard work. Yeah. Like it's, I, I got maybe half an hour into the record and I was tired. Like I had to turn it off, but it's, it's a great record. It really is cool. But that's what I've been listening to this week. And obviously, as I guess we'll move on to now, a lot of uh, Heaven Shall Burn. So hit me with some Heaven Shall Burn knowledge and opinions. Well, I mean, knowledge-wise, it was just a band that I remembered listening to um, around the time the other album we listened to came out, about 2008, 2009. Um, and I, re- I remembered them as more of a hardcore band, like a metal metally hardcore band yeah right there we go sorry i lost you again then it's it's, it's not all right. you. what, what I've do you got keep fucking lead. about with all right i've got a dodgy lead on my cans okay don't move then um, yeah, i'm trying to <laughs> so sorry yeah tell us what we say right let let me get this off my chest immediately if there's one thing that anybody needs to know about me it's i fucking hate repeating myself catherine i'll tell you this that She'll say, sorry, what was that, love? And I'll be like, nothing. And all of a sudden, I want to kill everybody. But yeah, um, right. Okay, so basically what I was saying it was, I don't, um, Heaven Shall Burn is not like a band that's, you know, consistently on my radar or anything like that. No. But it's... Because um, this was your choice, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Week. It was, I, I basically went through the new metal releases, uh, this, this year's most recent kind of metal releases and stuff. Um, right. I thought... I'll have a listen um, and see, uh, or have a look and see what kind of stands out. Um, and I remember, like I say, I remembered Heaven Shall Burn from when, like, the other album that we were listening to, 2008. Um, I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of remembered listening to that. Um, oh, we should, sorry to interrupt, we should say um, the two records that we were listening to. Of Truths and Sacrifice is the, the newest release and then yeah, the Iconoclast the, part one. Yeah, which is confusing in itself because there is no part two, but the part record, three. Yeah, record that followed it in 2010 was Invictus, and then in brackets it was Iconoclast part three. So um, I, that confuses shit out of me. Yeah. I wonder... I don't know. I don't know what I wonder. I don't care. Anyway, but yeah. So um, the... So I, I listened to the, the new album first and I kind of wish I hadn't. I kind of wish I'd listened to the old one first to kind of get me in the mood for it because that's the sound that I remembered, like almost like a yeah. hardcore band. Yeah, yeah, completely. That's that's I did listen to them in that order. But did you you had experience of them before, I assume? Yeah, just from when I was like a mosher back in the day, I was listening to anything kind of heavy with screamy vocals. And I used to like, you know, consistently screamy vocals when people were trying to put singing in things that used to piss mm. me off sometimes but you know because i was like it doesn't fit there it doesn't fit there but yeah if you want it heavy you just want it fucking heavy yeah but i like i said I, I was listening to um of truth and sacrifice first the first thing i noticed was basically every time he opens his mouth the same sound in the same kind of rhythm is coming <laughs> yeah. out of his face yeah. and 
it gets very draining after a while. I want something different. I need some flavour on top yeah, of Yeah, I, I like, found the same. I mean, it's a cool sound he's making, but it's the only sound he's making. It's not like, you know, we were, when we were talking about um, Heart of a Coward last week, Jamie has like range vocally like his 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 singing range his screaming range everything it's just all power and range he's got you know the whole package but Whereas, it, the difference is it's for the song yeah like it's whatever melody or or scream he's written whatever that part of that song demanded yeah he could he it could fits. supply the goods whereas this, this guy is it's like a piano part and he's just like playing over a piano part. He's doing these screams over the top, these like yeah. death growls over the top that don't really fit. Did it, my only experience of them before this week, to me, they oh. were a band. I was surprised actually when I was looking it up and stuff, you know, as we were listening to it. I knew I knew the name and I'm like, where do I know that name from? And I've looked through the discography and they did a record in 2000 called Asunder, mm -hmm. which is a record that I'm familiar with. And I was surprised it was 2000 because I thought that that was like a mid nineties jam. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, shit, this is the, the cause I, they're, so for anyone who doesn't know, they're like, um, as we kind of previously talked about, they're kind of a metal core. They're more extreme than that. I don't know what you'd call it, but there's, there's an obvious hardcore element to it. Yeah. But, but there's also I seem to remember him playing on hardcore. There's like, something um, more more extreme. I don't know if there's a, a subgenre for that or they were like when they were playing gigs and stuff. Uh, oh, I, I mean, I assume they still are. But back in the day when they were playing gigs, the, I think they tended to be playing. Um, um so yeah, for if if for anyone who doesn't know, Heaven Shall Burn are like a German. I guess metalcore band, but there's something more extreme about it. Yeah. Um, but they, I was honestly surprised to find that that record I remember was from 2000. I thought they were going back earlier than that. They've just got, I don't know. They just come across in my mind, at least as a band who have been doing this longer than 20 years. But didn't you find that there were some moments when like this, it's obvious they're German. There's like a, oh, yeah, a, yeah there, there's this, but it's not industrial as such. It's just that really obvious European sound. Yeah. Well, there are, there was industrial elements. There was like random, like techno beats popping up everywhere and stuff like that. Mm. Um, But I mean, when he goes like hardcore German as well, there's this bit that sounds like um, a Hitler rally at one point when he's like shouting <laughs> yeah. over the top of something. That is on... Because he starts off in English and then he goes into German by the end of it as well, doesn't he? Yeah, that's on the new record, isn't it? That was called... It's the second half. I think... Do you know, I think there was... Um, there's a, I, think, a... I think that was it. That was My Heart in the Ocean, I Possibly. think that was called, which is was on the newer record of Truth and Sacrifice. The, there's a point on the album where... Um, the, the it's, I think it's like the first kind of like mellow piano breakdown kind of moment. It's like, yeah. and it it just after that, there's all of a sudden there's a change and it feels like it got better and more interesting. Like the this first, is the second record. 
Um, the truth and sacrifice. Of truth and sacrifice, yeah. Because what I noticed, like, to begin with, was it's super fucking long. Like, the intros to all the songs and the songs themselves are all, they all feel really long. Um, I'm used to hardcore metal kind of songs being two and a half to three and a half kind of minutes. Um, you for, say, for this yeah, kind of music, that that's it because there's no. It's hard to keep it interesting for much longer. Yeah, like if Periphery do a seven-minute. What was that tune called? Reptile on yeah. Hail Stan. Yeah, fourteen there's, minutes. There's something all down. sorts of shit going on there. Yeah, you don't you don't know it's fourteen minutes long because it's almost operatic yeah. in its structure in its uh, delivery. There's not much going on in these songs, other than they're very much like what you see is what you get. It's all on the surface. There's no deeper um, meaning to it, and and then on top of that, there's no variation in in the literal sounds that you're hearing. There's no um, there's no dynamic. No, it, bec- it gets exhausting after a while, I think. I, do you know, so I listened to the first one, first Iconoclast. I say the first one first. It's in it, it, the older one of the two that we Yeah, it's not through. the first album by any means. No, but no, it no. Was it was like one of the more popular releases, I think, was the reason well, I went it, for it. It came across to me, like one of my biggest problems with that was it sounded, there were some really weird production choices with it that for us, like like we were just saying, so the, the music itself is um kind of unwavering which which for its genre for what it's doing I'm, you know that's not that's not um uh a criti- uh, what's the word i'm not criticizing it's not a criticism um that's just that kind of music mm-hmm. that record felt longer than it was yeah, iconoclast because it's unwavering. Yeah, it's, I it, mean it's an hour-long album, which is long for a hardcore-type album, a metal. Yeah, kind of completely. Album. But it really took some listening; like it's tiring to listen to. And yeah. there were there were certain production choices that I don't know if were on behalf of the band or the producer. I must I, I meant to look into who produced both of these records to see like have they been working with the same producer all the time, and this was just an odd one uh, or what, but. I don't know if you noticed the 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 guitars were EQ'd to a point that you there was no note definition mm. in places. It was like it was all mids, and because of that, you're 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 physically attempting, you're consciously trying to hear what's being played. And that alone makes one song tiring. An hour of that, yeah. And and you are like, your ability to hear detail has gone. You know, so for that style of music to EQ the guitars like that seemed a really weird choice for me. But on top of that, and it, if it was on its own, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. But coupled with that thing he'd done with the guitars. On the drums, all of the cymbals, all because there was this weird low end to the drums that meant it was interfering with the the low mid of the guitars. It was just kind of mushy in places, mm. but you could hear what was being played on the drums. But all of the hardware on the drums, every cymbal, the hats and everything, they were all panned extreme left and toppy as fuck. Like there were 
it was distracting every time you hit a cymbal. You're already struggling to hear any detail in the guitar. Uh, and that, then a cymbal would come in, and it was audibly on one side of your head. Yeah. And it was so toppy, it felt like it was on top of you. It's like you were wearing it like a hat. It <laughs> was, oh, it was just the oddest mixing choice I've ever, like, noticed for myself you know without someone pointing out oh this is an interesting mix do you see yeah well i guess that kind of like shows that obviously stood out oh it stood out fucking it was it was in neon man it was it was on fire it's like he it was just such an odd choice and i i wouldn't say it was like amateur because it comes across as an intentional thing like they wanted it to sound that way i just can't for a fucking second think why you would want it to sound that way and and what really made it stand out is that on the new record the truth the truth and sacrifice record that's not the case mm. the, so if if anything else as much as truth and sacrifice is a longer record again with that unwavering style uh, i mean that's that's more of a musical thing uh it, it was easier to listen to, even though it was longer and it was unwavering. I found it a more comfortable listen. It was easier to get through that record because the, the mix was, well, I mean, I don't want to say better, but to my ear, better. It was, you know, the, it was just the, the mix on Iconoclast just seemed fucking ridiculous frankly but obviously but also came across as intentional and it really threw me like i had no idea what the fucking hell i was listening to am i supposed to be listening to the do i do they not want me to hear the detail in the guitar no well i I mean you've spoken to to me not probably not on the podcast but like you've spoken to me before about like um when you're trying to hear riffs in songs um and you find it like stuff like um, Dropkick Murphys, it's kind of difficult to pick anything out from it because it's just a load yeah. of uh, DS1 and not a lot of anything else. It's just all fizz and there's not oh, any yeah. kind of like... Um, I mean, does it come from me playing guitar, do you think? I don't know. Possibly. Because I, like, I can listen to Dropkick Murphys and pick out the riff, but I think I'm expecting the riff, so that's why I know what the... like Because I listen yeah. to them you know outside of learning songs i listen to or I, I have listened to them in the past just for fun so i'm kind of expecting what's what's playing so that's why i'm hearing it so that's why i could then go and play it on a guitar afterwards but if it's not kind of if if you're not already kind of deep into it anyway then it might be like all oh, you hear i mean it does it just sounds like fizz a lot of the time there's not any was, like definition to the riffing or anything like that. So it was. Do you know? I don't. I don't think it was the guitar tone so much as the tone it had been mixed with. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. this is probably um, a cognitive dissonance on my part. I. It didn't sound to me like the guitarist had dialed that into an amp, and that was just a, a recording of his amp. But that's okay. because that's because. I would assume that that was a mixing choice. Mm. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the producer just said, look, we're going to do this raw. And and those were the sounds that were dialed in. And that's the sounds we got. But I, it, it just felt to me like everything that had been played had been muddied up intentionally. 
and that's oh. why I that's why I feel like it was it was a post thing because it sounded like that we're going to leave just enough in that you can if you really fucking try you can hear all the detail. Yeah. But like it won't slap you in the face. It won't be obvious because that's not what this band's about. No. And I I'm not saying it's a bad thing. This is this was an observation on um just the, my opinions on it aside, that was just an observation I made when I listened to it. Each time I heard it, and I uh, this week I had some pretty long drives, so I did listen to those records twice through each yeah. in full. Well, actually, no, I tell a lie. The first time when on the day, I don't remember what day it was when you suggested it, I listened to the first one, Iconoclast, in full, and then immediately went to Truth and Sacrifice, and I got maybe halfway through. And then I had to stop. It was just too much at that point. Yeah, well, that's the 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 same problem I had the other way around. But I mean, when I'm looking at the track lengths, they've got like seven and eight and eight and a half minute songs. Nine million man, they, they have no, they have, there is no place in their repertoire to put a nine minute song in there. But they've gone and done it. I can't. I mean, See, that's the thing. Where can you imagine being in? <sighs> If you you and me have worked together for a long time, and, yeah. we, and we've known each other a long time, and we've worked not just in the band we're in now, we've worked together in another band back in the day. Can you imagine if at any point in that I presented you with a song that was nine minutes but basically didn't change? This is you it, just isn't tell it? me to stop being a prick. Like you just that's fucking ridiculous. Unless you're going to have some dynamic in it. Exactly. Why does it need to be nine minutes? Like Dry County by Bon Jovi, that deserves to be nine minutes long because that's a like a start to finish kind of legit masterpiece. Things like November Rain and stuff like that, they should be long songs because they start somewhere and go somewhere. Exactly. Well, the length of a song shouldn't be judged. It's the quality of the song. Exactly. And there is a time when it naturally ends. Yeah. If nothing is going to happen to it for... Because it goes the other way. Like like you say, November 8th, what was the Bon Jovi tune you mentioned? Uh, Dry, Dry County. County. Yeah, it starts off with like this quiet piano piece and then it builds up and it's got like this like, um, big kind of uh, arena rock fast section in the middle and then finishes off kind of like with with the big kind of reprise of the, the main uh, chorus and stuff like that. You know, it goes places. There's there's definite sections, and it all makes sense. And, and at no point do I think, "Fuck, this is a long song." I just think, "Fuck, that was great." By the end of it, do you know what I mean? Am I guessing? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> right, I can hear you on these cans, but I'm swapping cans. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I, I feel like I'm not going to repeat what I just said. Um, but yeah, I I didn't, but I will listen to it when the podcast comes out. Okay. So I missed what you just said, <laughs> but I'll hear it then. But I'm I might be asking a daft question now, but did you say the Bon Jovi one was called Dry County? Dry County, yeah. Um, right, yeah, I, I'll it, make an effort to listen to that. It's not a song I'm familiar with, but it's awesome. it goes it's, it's, I think is it off these days maybe. Oh, that's a great record. Um Right. Oh, it might be on um, Keep the Faith, actually. What's that? Keep the Faith's about 90, uh, 90, 90, 91. Crossroads was like 94. 
Yeah, that was the best stop. I think it was 90. Yeah, but it had those two new tracks on yeah. as well, didn't it? These Days was the record that followed it, wasn't it? It was like 95, yeah. 96. I th- and that they're showing me pictures record. of uh, Keep the Faith album cover, so I'm presuming it's off Keep the Faith. Yeah, I'm, I seem to remember it. it was. Yeah, it's off Keep the Faith. Keep the no, Faith. I... Again, no, yeah, that's least. a 10 minute song. That's nine nine minutes 53. But in no time during that, that song, listening to that song, do I think, shit, that's a really long fucking song. I just think no, that was when awesome. It's, when it's exactly when, when you've written something that demands, like, it, it could be, I don't know how to word it because I've, I've had a good drink today. <laughs> but when, if you write something that naturally just keeps going, that's fair enough. The time it goes on for is irrelevant if it's still naturally yeah, progressing yeah, yeah. and it's moving to a certain point. And the same goes for a very short song. If you write a song that's only a couple of minutes long, if it's only a minute and a half, but that minute and a half does everything it needs exactly. to do. Absolutely. Like, like um, Walls of Jericho, they were always a classic one for me. They had like songs that ticked a lot of boxes of, that, that songs a lot longer by other bands would tick, but yeah, it does everything that it needs to do in that short space of time. There's not, I'm not thinking, oh, that went by too fast. I, you know, I, I'm getting everything I need to out of out of you know, those two three minutes. Even if you take it out of the heavy realm, well, I guess there's still a rock. Well, back then there were proper punk, but like Green Day, if you look at songs by Green Day, they're basically they've got a very pop sensibility yeah. about them. They don't need to be more than like two and a half minutes a piece. They do everything they need to do in that two and a half minutes. Yeah. It's just like, and then first occasionally, bridge chorus, verse bridge chorus. Exactly. That structure fucking works. That's been proven a billion times in history. And it's been proven in basically every song Green Day ever recorded. And it always works. And on the odd occasion that they wanted to do something different, they did it and it still worked because they didn't push it to a place it didn't need to go. Heaven Shall Burn, I think, have a habit of I don't know I don't know how to put it, but it's quite self indulgent, I think. They, what, they push it too far. Yeah, they're doing it for themselves, though, I think. They don't, Is that they, intentional, do you think? Do, maybe. Do you think they know that they're pushing it too far, that people will find this hard to listen to, and that's part of like their aesthetic. That's what they want to do. Or do you think they just don't know when to end a song? So your band who's been doing it 20 years, I... I... Plus, they do have... There's this protest sound to them. Like, they're angry. And I feel like they want to challenge it that's again that's what i mean about the mixing decisions on that iconoclast record i almost feel like they want you to have a hard time listening to to their work maybe that's it maybe that is maybe that is what what the the thing is maybe it's like this album is supposed to be painful you're not supposed to enjoy it you bastards to a degree yeah i mean it's that it's that thing where are they putting the art above the commercial satellite are they not bothered about selling they don't want to go platinum they just want to make a statement yeah maybe i, I don't know it was difficult to listen to though like it's not because it was bad music like if you're into heavy music i reckon you'd dig it 
whether yeah, well, or not you would be able new- to listen to a full record. Because I tell you now, I wouldn't have listened to a full record of that if it weren't for this show. Well, ju- just, just you know, as a uh, some kind of um, uh, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? Some kind of benchmark. So the previous album, uh, sorry, the the earlier album, Iconoclast. There's no Kerrang review for, on the um, Wikipedia for it, but Sputnik Music gave it four out of five. On the newer album, Sputnik Music gave it four out of five. However, Kerrang gave it two out of five. And Kerrang aren't usually massively unfair, I don't think. I mean, obviously, they've got their kind of preferences and things like that. So if it's not an album that they would listen to in their spare yeah. time. I suppose they're trying to be objective, but ultimately you're still going to have your what you're into. Well, what... I mean, I guess... Like, Metal, Metal DE gave it 8 out of 10, so they obviously liked it. DE? Um, yeah. G- German. Exactly. Metal Hammer gave it 6.5 out of 7, which I don't really... That surprises me. Metal yeah. Hammer are reviews I generally trust. Yeah, because because they come across to me as um, I used to say this about uh, bollocks. I used to say this about uh, Empire versus Total Film magazine. Empire is more trustable. Well, no, it was it was it was. I think it depends on what you want a review to reflect. And Empire was journalists who were into film. Whereas yeah. Total Film was film geeks that knew how to write. Do you know the you, problem you, I have do with? Do you see uh, what I mean? It, yeah, the problem I, I have like with Empire. Metal Hammer. The problem I have with Empire, like quite often, is um, because, like you say, you think it's it's more um, journals that write about films. Yeah, it's like they're trying to be. I don't know if they're trying to be or they just are. They, they come across quite pretentious and sometimes they'll give five stars and stuff to films because they're arty. But no, not- I agree. That's ex- that's exactly the point I'm making is like, I'd rather read a review by someone who's deeply into it, but happens to know how to write. Yeah. than Someone who is a journalist who ended up with a job. Like I'm a journalist. So I want to write for the telegraph, but I ended up writing for empire. Yeah. Cause I've come across do, do films I mean? several, yeah. Several times I've come across films in empire reviews. They've gone five stars. I'm like, fuck, let's watch that. And be like, what the fuck did I watch that for? Triangle you would see, be a prime me, example of that. Um, I really didn't like the Babadook. Is that the Melissa George movie? Yeah, man. Triangle. The one with On the, the boat. boat. Yeah. I thought that was great. Nah, it was doggers, man. I hate it. I saw it at the oh, cinema. I, loved it. I, just... I, I, I basically love everything I watch at the cinema because I love being in the cinema, the environment. It makes me yeah, love I'm the, the film same, like man. 10 I times fucking... more than I would normally. I 100% agree with that. But even that couldn't win me out. I was like, I, I stayed to the end because I was like, I paid my money. I'm getting my fucking time. But nah. I really liked that film. I thought it was great. But but no, I mean, back to, to the point about the journo thing, that's why I generally trust Metal Hammer. Because I get the impression that the, the guys shot the the <laughs> dudes who work for Metal Hammer, I think are genuine metal kids. Uh-huh. You know, like they grew up listening to it. That's all they love it. They genuinely love it. Um, and they love it that much. They went into writing about it. 
They didn't want to be journalists because they wanted to be journalists. They wanted to be journalists because they wanted to write about metal. I guess it's kind of like we do a podcast because we're into metal. We don't do a podcast. We want to be podcasters particularly. Yeah, very much. I mean, what the fuck else would we talk about? There's there's other things we're into, but if we just wanted to do this because like, we thought, oh, that'd be cool if we had a podcast. Do you remember a few years back, I sent you um, a, a text just saying, dude, we should start a YouTube channel. Yeah. And the first, Vaguely, yeah. the first thing you said to me, like the, the immediate reply, sounds cool, but what would we do? And it's like, well, exactly. If you're doing it just because you want to have a YouTube channel, probably shouldn't do it. Yeah. Whereas this came around differently. We were approached. Someone asked us. Someone, Wayne was, I mean, at the time it was radio, but Wayne said to us, you dudes would be cool on the radio. You should do something. What do you want to do? And, and we were like, well, the only thing we know about is metal. We should talk about metal. Yeah. It's, that's it. It's the only thing that me and you both kind of are into that much. Well, that's that's why I trust Metal Hammer reviews. It's just that they come across as they just love the genre. They love the culture. But having listened and, to that album and seen that it's got, an, that, I mean, that's for the newer album. That's got a nine out of ten from, uh, sorry, six point five out of seven. I'm not saying I agree with every review that you give, <laughs> but I mean, don't get me wrong. We we sound like we've been down on this band and down on on these records. They're good. They they do exactly they have, what they say yeah. on the tin. If you listen to Heaven Shall Burn, this is what you should expect. But I yeah, I think the difference between the casual it. listen enjoying it and what we've done is that we've had to listen to two records in full and it was a fucking slog yeah i like i listened to i, I, I listened to the the shorter album a few times because it was more to me it was more accessible at least but the the newer album um uh, of truth and sacrifice that's like really long <laughs> it's like an hour and a half long and that much of that sound is just exhausting. It really is. It's genuinely fucking tiring to listen to. When I'm already but, walking like 15 miles, it's exhausting. <laughs> I, dude, I ain't on my feet, but I mean, you know what it's like driving a potentially eight-hour round trip. Yeah. You know, you're knackered already. You've got a lot to think about. This is tiring shit to listen to. And and that's obviously why we found it difficult is because we've had to listen to them. When did, when did we decide this? Was it Wednesday? No, it was earlier than that, I think. Was it Monday or Tuesday, I think? And it's Saturday today. Yeah. So in four days, we've listened to... I mean, I, I listened to each one twice, I think. I mean, I didn't listen to anything really yesterday because I was off work. I haven't really listened to yeah, much I'm, today. I'm I listened the same, to, yeah. I listened to um, the 2017 album from First Blood through yesterday and today a little bit, which is... Any good? Yeah, it's cool. Uh, it's back to basics with them. They're The first album and that album are kind of similar in the way that they play and the way they write the songs. There was an album in the middle. Um, let me just find what it was called. So I'm not a fucking maroon. First Blood, not fucking Rambo, you cock. 
First Blood Band Wiki. Because Wiki is uh, where I get all my information from. Um, Discord. All your information on anything comes from on the anything, First never, Blood yeah. Band Wiki. Yeah, so... Um, How long was I, Nelson Mandela in prison? Let me consult the First Blood Band Wiki. Wasn't it like 24 years or something stupid? I'm fucked if I know. I, I don't know. I know that um, Eddie Izzard did a, a marathon for every year that he was in prison, didn't he? Eddie Izzard did. It was either five marathons on five continents in five days or seven, you know, insert seven instead of five. But it was a fucking slog, and I'll bet he needed a kip after. Yeah, I bet. I bet his legs were knackered. Uh, Mandela Marathons, Eddie Izzard. Here we go. Uh, then on to Cape Town. 27 marathons. Attempt, he attempted to do 27 marathons in 27 days through South Africa. To Jesus salute, Christ. As a salute to Nelson Mandela, who spent 27 years of his life in prison for, in his fight against apartheid. So he tried to run 26 miles 27 times in 27 days. Like a fucking G. Um, I'm not sure how many. It didn't say how many. Or maybe it does a further up how many he got through. Um, had to run a double marathon on the 27th day as he spent the fifth day in hospital. <laughs> what a fucking Fuck legend. So we, we ran 52 miles in a day. What a fucking G. Fuck me. Because he's, he's, he's a tubby dude. How the fuck he, he was. Don't look like he could do that. And but he he's did. fucking not after that, is he? And he that's the thing, he hadn't even prepared for it. Like, I don't think he'd done any like warm-up kind of running for it or anything. I think he just How is he not dead? Because he's Eddie fucking is hard. He just lives. That would off. straight fucking kill me, I swear to God. He lives off his need to be uh a little bit in crazy. high heels and a skirt. Yeah, but he didn't run in high heels and a skirt because that would be insane. Oh, fair and right. Okay. I'm fair pretty enough. sure he was running in running shoes. But yeah, um, First Blood, I got into him, California, 2006. Um, I saw them playing a gig, I think, with Hatebreed, maybe. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's it, it's a band you'd assume you'd see him with. Yeah, well, as I was saying last time, there's kind of like an incestuous kind of thing going on between... Um, so I I think, um, Terra's bassist became, uh, First Blood singer where, um, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I think that's the way it went. And then one or two of members of Terra, um, three gun, the guitarist, uh, he, he, and another one went to hate breed, um, and yeah, anyway, by the by, that's all kind of stuff for another time, I guess. But um, they released an album called Silence's Betrayal in 2010, then were pretty quiet until 2017. 2010 album, I never really got into. I think they kind of tried to do something a bit more uh, interesting, like not straightforward hardcore, which the other albums had been. And um, yeah. this new one, Rules, every every track on the album rules um it's called rules of something or rules for something is that your recommendation for the week you, you have, give it a blast it's fun i liked it I'm made me want to punch people so 
I'll check that out. My recommendation for the week, I mentioned it earlier, Warp Zone by Marta. But it will fuck with your head. Okay. It'll probably like it make will... me want to listen to... Um, uh... You're not you're not too much for the prog stuff, are you? <sighs> not proggy prog. I like stuff like This Primus. is beyond prog. This is this is the this is calling it prog is watering it down. It's fucking jazz. See, I like things that have jazzy moments, like I say, like Primus, where it's like you know, Les Claypool is a fucking sick bassist, and will throw random chords in everywhere, um, which is weird for a bassist anyway. Yeah, man. But he's you know, but it's always in the right place with Les exactly, Claypool. and it's still got that kind of poppiness to it. Like, um, oh yeah, because it's such, it's just such good fun to listen. Yeah, to and it's funky as well. It's got that. Oh like, yeah, and and always, it's not. It's not recorded in a way where it's supposed to sound super tight and technical, but everybody, you can tell everybody is super proficient on their instrument. Oh, without a doubt. And they just I kind think, of blast it out live. I think Primus are a band who never cared about any kind of success. They just make music that they fucking dig. And it, it, they just happen to get, uh, uh, well, not commercial, but they happen to sell records. Yeah. I think it's it, back in the 80s and stuff, they were like on bills where th- they would get noticed. Yeah, um, man. Well, they, they would have played a lot with uh, like Mr. Bungle. Yeah. I guess. and Because they were kind of like tying between things like um, grunge and funk and, yeah, they had, you know, yeah, straight they up hard rock, faith and all that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, with the Mr. Bungle thing i guess the that a bit of faith no more link as well mm. yeah man for fuck's sake <laughs> all i hear is you laugh at me when whenever i say for fuck's sake there's like five a seconds second, of silence yeah. and then you're in yeah well that's probably all that's happening is because i hear fuck's sake and you're oh, deaf big, <laughs> big cunt <laughs> <sighs> There we go. Right, I've got you, and I'm holding it in the most awkward fucking position possible. Either that sounds like most of my sexual experiences. Anal. Um, yeah. So yeah, standout tracks. Is there anything that you would like commit to memory? Because I've I've got two from each record that I thought, as much of a slog as it was getting through, these are the tracks that made it easier. If I was going to return, these are the ones I'd go back to. Um. There's nothing especially that was standing out, lords. Um, I mean, find standout tracks in records like these. Yeah, because that's it. By the time the good ones come around, I'm already tired of it. So. Yeah, that's it. So they so they hit you with less impact. Yeah, because it's more of the same. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have a feeling Expatriate was maybe one, but I don't really hundred percent remember. No, you you give me yours. I don't. I would say. <laughs> Have you got me? Yeah. I know you've got me. Have I got you? I don't know. Have you? I tell you, as I know. Right. I think I've got you. Have I would you say me? on Iconoclast. Yeah. Uh, there is a song on Iconoclast called A Dying Ember that I thought was really good. Right. It was a standout on that record. Uh, and Black oh. Tears. I might revisit that then. Black Tears was one. That's I'll a be cover. Honest, Oh, is it? Yeah. Edge of Sanity cover. Oh, I didn't know that. 
I didn't know that until I'm, I'm staring at the I wiki. So, yeah, sorry, standout tracks. Uh, Truth and Sacrifice for me, standout tracks were Protector and uh, What War Means. Okay. What War Means especially, I thought that was that was a genuine standout. Like That might have been the one that stood out to me. There was what, like I said, there was a quiet track, a piano track, and then immediately after there was a couple of good ones. Oh, sh- yeah, I, that, like, that makes sense. Um, My Heart and the Ocean was like uh, an almost interlude. Uh, you shouldn't have then, an eight-minute interlude. It's just oh, five-minute interlude. It's really yeah. It, it's a bit much, but then expatriate was um, that's a that's I'd say that's one of the standouts. To be fair, that's the well, immediate follow-up, and then that's the one I repeated sixteen times when you couldn't hear me. That I think expatriate was possibly one of them, but I couldn't really remember any of the names of them off the top of my head. I, I mean, while I'm walking and I've got my phone in my pocket, it's hard for me to get it out and check it, but. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I don't un, unless something jumps out, then I'll look. Oh, what's this one called? Yeah. You know what I mean. But I should really get um, one of those watches that tells me what I'm listening to. But then that's like two hundred quid on something I don't really need. Yeah, on a watch just, to tell you the name of a song. Exactly. When I could just get my phone out of my pocket if I gave that much of a fuck. There's a track <clears> called <throat> "Children of a Lesser God." Yeah. That I thought um, I it did stand out, but for the wrong reasons. Like when when the reason I check, like we were just saying, you know, you're going to check if it stands out. This stood out, and I had to check what it was called, but just because it, it's well, it was, I didn't like it. Well, the like the album's broken up into two albums essentially, but it doesn't really. You don't get that from Spotify. It just plays it through as like uh, 19 tracks start to finish. And I think that's maybe why it's so like exhausting. It's got two albums to it. If you if you listen to it as one album and then the second album, maybe it's more accessible. You know, like um, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. You listen oh, to like it as two separate. Al- yeah, you listen to it as two separate albums, yeah. and they are very different albums. Like if you listen to uh, the Melancholy and then the Infinite Sadness, yeah, they're, very, they're very different albums. Maybe that's the idea that they were going for with this, but because it's all know, in one one place, because it, it like there is a point, there is a definite point on it where it stops being like one album, and it does kind of it gets this kind of like thicker, heavier, slightly more hardcore sound to it, and maybe that's what they go for on it. It's, it's interesting that you raise that because I hadn't thought of that at all. Like I noticed a difference, but I hadn't considered the idea of like back in the day that would be a double. Yeah, a double album. Right? Well, that's the only thing that alerted me to that was the Wikipedia page. It's split into two separate albums uh, of truth and sacrifice. Right. And that makes a hell of Does it tell you where? Because I can't off the top of my head remember where I noticed the difference. So the ch- Children you- of a Lesser God is the first track on and sacrifice. So that's the second. Right, okay. The first, the first track on the second album. So that's the point it splits. That makes sense, I guess, because that was, like I say, that one stood out to me as being one that I wasn't overly fond of. So that makes sense. The Sorrows of Victory and um, Stateless are two tracks towards the the back end of that record that worked well together, I thought. Yeah. But, But not... They weren't standout tracks individually. They just worked very well one off the other. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I ju- I found this a really odd one to listen to, if I'm honest. Uh, like not not this record specifically, this band. Yeah, 
I found it a really strange one to listen to because obviously when we listen to them for these purposes, it, we're not listening casually anymore. We're kind of listening with a judgmental eye. Yeah. A judgmental ear, I should say. So we're probably reading more into it than they intended. Yeah. But like I say, at the same time, I, I couldn't help, especially on Iconoclast. <coughs> oh, pardon me. I couldn't help but think there were some really intentional, like some really hard decisions went into it. Like, we want this to be tough. We don't want you to listen to it and enjoy it. We want you to listen like when making a point or I'm fucked if I know what that point was, but it's, it's almost like the art came before the music. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was weird. It's, it's not an experience that I enjoyed, but it was an ex not because I didn't like the music. It was just more listening to it as one whole product was tough. Yeah. I don't, Uh, it's not something I think I'll possibly probably revisit anytime. I don't no, think. I'd I'd need a break from it. But as I said, if if I do at any point, I can see myself this week going back to uh, Protector and what war means. Yeah. Okay. Those, yeah. Those, those well, I suppose that's, that's something enough. positive to take away, then, isn't it? I mean, we don't do reviews as such as you know, like out of ten or whatever. No, I'm just. But, it's just more like we gibber shit about our opinions for half an hour or whatever. Well, that's it. And to be honest, I think we may have come across as being a bit down on this. And that's not the case. I think they have their place. And I think these records have their place in this band's discography. And I think this band definitely has their place in, I want to say, hardcore. It's. It, 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 we were talking earlier, I kept saying metalcore. They've got such a hardcore aesthetic that I think they can't be ignored. They've got to be yeah. there in in that hardcore lineage. But I and mean, I think- on the on the Wikipedia pages for them, they're ex- they're described as a German extreme metal band. But yeah, I read that too. The more I'm- recent stuff, I kind of agree almost. Like the um the the newest album, there's a lot of kind of that blast beats, fast double pedal. Not not got a groove. It's more just like an onslaught with uh, screaming over the top of it. And I get yeah. that, but then there's a, there's too much metal car in it for me to call them an extreme metal band. There's there's too many moments where it does have that kind of like hardcore, straight up groovy type stuff. Yeah, I on. think there was a lot more on that Iconoclast record. Mm-hmm. There was a lot. Of, that's got a genuine like an not genuine an obvious um, hardcore sound. Uh, and it's it, even in places when a lot of the overriding elements are not hardcore. Like if it's a really hardcore, uh, like rhythm line and guitar line, the vocals haven't changed because as, yeah. as you said earlier, they're the same all the time. Yeah. So then it's just out and out hardcore. But when the music's doing something that's a little bit more, because there's like a black metal influence to it, I think. Yeah. When when the when the music's gone a bit more black metal. The vocals are still hardcore enough that you can't forget the hardcore influence. So it's, I don't know, it was a really weird one for me. This, it, it, I i didn't enjoy the experience of listening to it, but I think, like I say, I think that's purely because I had to listen to it start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, um, maybe if somebody kind of like 
tossed you a song and said, hey, check this out. You might have enjoyed it more than he listened to what, these two entire albums. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if if you'd have like handed me a compilation record and they had a track on that, I'd think it was outstanding. But if if that one track had then led me on to search them out and listen to full records, I wouldn't have gone through a full record in one no. go. I hey, doubt I'd have gone through a full record in fucking six months. How about this for um, the studio that um, Iconoclast was recorded in was called Rape of Harmony's Studio. <laughs> that tells you a lot about what you're going to hear if you listen yeah. to, to these records. Maybe but explain yeah, where all the tone from the guitars went. Yeah, well, like I say, there were some strange production choices on on the Iconoclast record. And if anything, just being a nerd, being a musician and, and like, you know, kind of a music production nerd, it makes me want to listen to more of this stuff to see how intentional that might have been. Yeah. But at the same time, it doesn't make me want to do that enough that I'm going to be doing it anytime soon. Yeah, I kind of want to stick... Uh random objects down my pee hole a little bit more than <laughs> listen to another two hour album hour and a half do you know album. do you know what it did make me I want think. to listen to like listening to this through what it really did make me want to listen to was real hardcore like it just put me in the mood for hardcore i think that's probably why i started listening to um terror and uh first blood again because i was like yeah i want the the hardcore elements that this gives me without all the kind of bits that bar me in the middle i want the two minute yeah. songs yeah of course that's the thing that's the, when when i'm listening to this it's like well it's exactly as you just say it's like yeah this is that's brutal why is it still happening yeah <laughs> maybe that's it like you know when you're watching like a a scene in a film and you're like just t- take the camera away just, just make the camera look away. <laughs> yeah. this is hard this is disgusting this is hard Maybe that's it. Maybe it's like, we're going to keep you looking at this. That's how's it. this for you? That's how's, exactly how's some more it. chug for you? That's how's exactly more screamy, it. screamy for you? I feel like all their decisions, all of our, for want of a better word, all of our criticisms in the last, what, hours discussion about these records, I feel like if band heard us talk about it, they'd be like, shit, it worked. You'd be like, yeah, that's what we're going for. <laughs> That's it, man. Very confusing. Fuck you too. <laughs> so we don't know what we're doing next. Um, It'd be your I choice, guess, I guess. I, yeah, I guess it's my turn. So I'll have a think about it. I'll let you know. And I guess we'll record another one uh, within the week, I guess. So sign off. Did we do a thing? We did a thing. It was uh, a bit of a... A test in time, but we did it. We got through it. Was. It was. I apologize for the technical problem. Since I changed cans, it seems to have calmed down, though you do still keep cutting out, just not like you did with the old ones. So if you want to find us on Facebook, uh, go in the old search bar at the top, search at Phil and Dave EA, or just search heavy in all caps and you'll find us. On Twitter, we're and underscore excellent. Um, if you want to look at our back catalogue of uh, videos, which I won't lie, we haven't added any in fucking time, but we'll get around to that eventually, especially once we can actually be in a room together. Uh, YouTube, just search Bite Back Media. You'll find us on there. Bite Back Media on Patreon. Should you want to 
show your support financially. That would be awesome. You can email us at philanddaveea at gmail.com. Um, and if you're already listening to this, you don't need the links for Spotify or Apple Podcasts, but you can find us on any of them platforms. 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 And um, all of these links are pinned to the top of the Facebook page. So that's really the only one you need. At Phil and Dave EA or search heavy in all caps. And in the meantime, I am so desperate for a piss now. That's it. We're done. I'm off. Stay classy, San Diego. Laters. Keep it heavy. God, I'm going to piss myself.